Welcome to episode 26 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men the Animated Series weekly recap podcast. I'm Rod. I said podcast. Anyway, <laughs> I'm Rod. Look me up on social media. It's either Rod Kim or Rod Kim Rocks. And I'm JC. Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series where I forget to give my own intro. And we go back and watch every single episode <laughs> of the original 1992 X-Men the Animated Series in their original intended script order, building up to the release of X-Men 97, which is coming to Disney Plus in 2023. Wanted to add, for those of you who are wondering how we determine the order of the episodes, we utilize a list that was provided in previously on X-Men, the making of an animated series by the lead showrunner, Eric Leewald, which is also available for reference on Wikipedia. And strangely enough, this episode in particular, that plays a huge factor, which we'll get into in just a second. Yeah, this was probably the first set of recordings that I actually had to like studiously reference the spreadsheet that John had for us. It's a solid spreadsheet. (laughs) It is. Some quick reminders, we're a recap show about a series that came out over 26 years ago. There will be spoilers. If you don't want it spoiled for you, pause the podcast, watch the episode and come back. We'll do our best to avoid mentioning anything about future episodes we haven't covered yet. We're currently not sponsored or affiliated with Disney or Disney Plus in any way. And <laughs> I don't know if we want to be at this point with this. This was a chore getting the episode orders right. Yeah, we kind of talked a little <laughs> bit of shit about that. Don't forget to follow us on all your social media at Cyclops IWFM pod on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter and Facebook. And of course, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast services. Finally, we record these episodes in batches and we are way ahead of schedule because June and July are nightmares for Rod and I. So we're probably not even going to react to any news for the next few episodes because it will just be so out of date. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because I think actually the the episode that posted this week was Mojo Vision, right? Yes. And we're recording the next appearance of Mojo. Yes, we are. Not today, but in the next in the one we're recording today. Anyway, now on to the show. <laughs> that won't be confusing, Rod. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Season 3, Episode 8, titled No Mutant is an Island. It aired on September 21st, 1996, and currently sits at a 6.8 star rating on IMDb. Oh, poor baby. I, I triple checked that. That is an accurate <laughs> star rating, referencing the Mojo yeah. Vision episode. <laughs> this episode actually aired two years later than our previous episode because of animation challenges and was originally considered a part of Season 5 of the show based on broadcast order. Okay, so that explains the, my first note for this is I don't remember watching this. No, and I'm pretty sure by the time season five had had come out, I had fallen off of watching it on a regular basis. There are also, interestingly enough, two different versions of the episode that exist, supposedly. The animation quality change. The first one was from Philippines Animation Studio. That's the actual name. That Mm -hmm. That is not just... (laughs) A descriptor. And then the second from ACOM or AKOM. I don't know which one it is, but apparently this this episode was animated twice. Oh, like completely different. Supposedly. I I don't have the the visual reference on it, but that's what is being reported, at least on Wikipedia. (laughs) And we know how accurate it is on Wikipedia. Based on the version that we saw on Disney Plus, I think we saw the alternate studio. (laughs) I do too. I I think the second version, and, and we'll like jumping right into it, we see for the first time in original script order, the new intro, which the yeah. new intro didn't happen until later on. Yeah, because yeah. it, it cuts out the, the lineup thing that they're running at each other. <laughs> yeah, there's clips from different episodes are in there. The lineup at the end isn't there anymore. It's like a weird remixed version of, of the song. That was actually the very, I stopped it to listen to it again, make sure I wasn't just like hallucinating. And it's, yeah, it's weird. I think what might be going on is there's like a more pronounced electric, uh, electric, electric guitar. I want to say it's been a long day. We've only been recording for three minutes. There might be other things going on. So I actually texted Ron. I was like, 
I'm re rewatching the show and things kind of get weird in the middle of season three. Maybe I should specify this is actually season five, kind of. And he didn't know. But to his credit, he did text me back in the middle of his son's graduation. So he said he was going to listen later and see <laughs> if he noticed something or if he had anything to do with it. Or maybe they did something without him, which would not be unheard of for Saban. I mean, I know we're an audio podcast, but just to let you know, the second that Rod just said, well, he texted me back during his son's graduation. I just buried my face in my hands. <laughs> Because we are just bothering Ron Wasserman <laughs> so much for this stupid show. Well, you know, so what's it's funny, so for me, I have to remember this about other people, especially now that the world has kind of opened back up again, is when I text someone, and if you're someone who knows me personally, know this about me. If I text you, I don't, unless I specify otherwise, I don't necessarily, like, expect an immediate response unless you're immediately available. I just figure it's kind of like email. I'm like, I put it out there. And then when you think of it, you get back with me. I just figure like, oh, if this happens to be the day or he's busy or whatever, he'll just get back to me when he does, you know, is whatever. I didn't expect him to be like, well, I'm heading to this graduation. I was like, okay, okay, at least it was fine. like headed to the graduation <laughs> yeah. and not like his phone starts buzzing yeah. as his kid is getting the diploma. <laughs> right. Or he was being polite and that was what's happening. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I so there isn't like a really obvious story there just yet. They definitely caught me off guard. And I actually went back to check the other episodes, make sure I just didn't miss it. And this, nope, this, this was, was the first, the first time. time. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, now onto the actual story. <laughs> yeah, onto the episode. <laughs> this makes so much more sense now because as a kid, not that I missed it necessarily, because you know you're just watching from week to week, but watching all the episodes, they're mourning Gene's loss, and I don't ever remember them doing that before. No. And so this makes so much sense. Right. Yeah, this this is the episode where that that initial morning takes place. And then obviously at the end of the episode, we'll get to the part of why there's not more morning being yeah. mentioned. <laughs> but yeah, th this was the, the time where everybody got to reflect on the loss of Gene. And, you know, it's it starts out with Beast, who's reading poetry, and then Jubilee losing her shit. She cannot handle the scenario. Yeah, she says she basically just kind of says it's kind of fucked up that we're just accepting that she's gone, you know. Yeah, she she says this whole thing is sick, and you know, Rogue tries to comfort her, and it just it doesn't it doesn't work. She is she is not handling it. I think it's because it's one of those like you didn't see the body scenarios. Yeah, and also Jubilee wasn't even in space. Jubilee was left back on Earth when all that was happening. Yeah, so her whole perspective was she she saw the sun fade in and out, but pretty much the rest of it was just waiting and then an, a ship coming back without Gene. Right. Or I guess there was that little interaction when Gene came back for a second and then left. But Right, yeah. but it's a, it's a little different than when you're there, yeah. thousands of miles, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away and such, yeah. you know. And then obviously Scott is very upset. He actually leaves the whole, they're outside of the mansion having a little memorial poetry reading and Scott just he gets up and leaves and he he feels inside what jubilee said out loud <laughs> you can just tell by the way he kind of fucks off and we catch up with him in the war room there's like a projection or something of, like a hologram yeah, of her gene and on the cerebro i guess and he's trying to mourn professor xavier does not have does not take social cues i guess for a mind reader that's really interesting so he goes in he's just trying to offer advice when he just needs to let this man grieve you know he's trying to tell him to, you know, not feel as bad or whatever. And that always goes over well. Yeah, it's say, <laughs> saying it'll be okay to somebody who just lost their sort of wife before they got <laughs> to get remarried. Yeah, and Scott, like, loses it. He's like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of being den mother to a bunch of quibbling children. <laughs> Basically, like, I'm sick of carrying this burden that, that you put on me by putting me as leader of this team. And he throws his uniform down. Yeah, he, he turns his uniform in. And I, I like that... He says something here about 
not seeing a point in saving a prejudiced world. It was like, kind of get it. You keep fighting and then nothing really changes if you think about it. You know, they've been fighting for, what, three and a half seasons at this point? Two and a half two at this half point. Se- two yeah. and a half seasons at this point. And like, and you know, how many years for them? Right. Like- <laughs> well, if you if you look at it from the perspective of, of Scott, Scott was the first member of the team. Yeah, as a uh, teenager. Yeah. And they're, they're portrayed as being early to mid-20s. Like, so we can assume Scott is somewhere in the neighborhood of like, 25 26 years old yeah. so he's been doing this for literally half of his life at this point yeah what's interesting about scott quitting the x-men at that time kind of gave me the same vibes that a lot of people who are deconstructing the christian faith right now are giving is like they're at least to them in their perspective they're seeing stuff like not pan out the way that they were promised in their life and so that's kind of what i see in scott he's like you told me if i just did this and that's why he was always a boy scout the whole time and he's like it's not panning out and i, I just lost gene and that was the last straw you know so I, for all the shit that I give Scott <laughs> throughout this whole series, despite our podcast being named after him, I actually relate with him at this point or feel feel for him. It's just like, yeah, I get it, man. You know, you lost everything. Yeah. And I mean, he had taken on Xavier's mission and, and was wearing it on his sleeve this, mm-hmm. as, as much as, as Charles did. It's half of his life has been dedicated mm-hmm. to this dream and all this dream in his mind has cost him his suffering and nothing else has changed. Yeah. And now he's nothing, like at least you know to him. And so we see him on a bus, presumably out of town. It's going somewhere. And while he's on the bus, he has a flashback of his proposal to Gene, the one we saw in a previous episode. And it gets interrupted by kids shooting like a toy laser gun at him. And yeah. He, and he says, "Die, mutant," or something like yeah, that. Yeah. The the little kid decides to like be pointing a gun at his head, and it's obviously like space laser gun it doesn't look like a real gun or anything like that but he's yelling die mutant his mom yells at him and she's like no she's like don't don't do that he's like but i'm only playing good guys and mutants and it's like yeah still like even just cops and robbers back in the day you don't go point a fake gun at somebody's head yeah like even in the 80s and 90s we knew not to do that shit but even that just dichotomy, you could see it on Scott's face. And, and you could see it was a purposeful animation choice to see his reaction when he said good guys versus mutants. And it was like, Ooh. oh, yeah, no, no doubt on that one. It was it was the like, is is Scott going to like snap on this kid? Because right. we've already established like he's hit his breaking point. He yeah. literally just gave up not even being the leader, but being even a member of the X-Men. Yeah. And so when the bus arrives at its destination, Scott walks up to what we see as McNeil Orphanage. He has a flashback to presumably his teen year, pre, early teen years when his powers manifested in the middle of the orphanage. All the other kids there make fun of him. And you start seeing a little bit of that trauma, but that gets interrupted by a woman who walks out of the orphanage. They take a beat, but then they remember each other. Uh, her name is Sarah. Well, she asks him what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Which is a good question. for Yeah, it's a fair question because he also <laughs> arrives like towards the evening. Yeah. So it's a really awkward time to show up at an orphanage. And she's like, oh, do you, are you like looking to adopt somebody? He's like, no, I like kind of know this place. And yeah. then they get that beat of like, Oh, we recognize each other, but we haven't seen each other in twenty, you know, yeah. about 
15 years probably. And they have a quick exchange where you figure out that she was also an orphan at the orphanage, but she came back to volunteer or work there or something. Yeah, she she brings Scott inside and they start talking and she reveals that she had a husband and unfortunately her husband passed away. So when that happened, she kind of saw it as her calling to go back to the orphanage and, and kind of take over, you know, to, to help give a better experience for kids than, you know, maybe what she was experiencing when she was there. Yeah. And then that's when Scott reveals to her that because she asked if he ever got married. And it's really interesting that this solidified whatever we thought was happening. He says, no, but I had someone. I was like, so he's still in his mind that him and Gene weren't married. <laughs> well, unless Morph. Yeah. Okay. Well, one, there's the, is it a church marriage yeah. or is it the state marriage? And then did they go and get the marriage certificate or like, so maybe they just didn't go get the marriage certificate, maybe, Rod. Yeah. yeah. They thought they were going to do that after the honeymoon. <laughs> I guess. And then because sure. there wasn't a proper officiant, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Something, yeah, it, it's just, it's 90s cartoon logic. So luckily that is interrupted by yeah. a TV reporter mentioning Zebediah Kilgrave. Yeah, it took me a minute, like a couple more scenes to realize who Kilgrave was. I do know him from Jessica Jones lore as the Purple Man. That is correct. I do not remember him in the X-Men series, so I'm assuming this is his only appearance. I or- did not I did not look it up, but I would not be surprised, especially because this didn't air until the fifth season broadcast yeah. order. So, Or if he was... In a season, it was the fifth season. Because <laughs> that's the one I probably didn't see any of. Right. And this is one of those weird things where it's like, it was and wasn't the fifth season. <laughs> Interesting thing for me is, so obviously we've we've said he is the Purple Man. Yeah. He's never mm-hmm. called the Purple Man in the episode. And what is important that we'll, we'll get to a little bit later on is he's not a mutant in the comics. His power came from like a chemical spill kind of scenario. Okay. Not born with the powers the way that it is implied in this episode. Uh, I guess that makes sense of how like the MCU was able to use him in the Netflix shows or something. (laughs) Right, because the rule was always around the mutants. Yeah. Yep. So Sarah tells Scott about how Kilgrave is essentially keeping the orphanage alive, both by funding it pretty much and also adopting what she calls special. So there's been scholarships to the disadvantaged kids, at least 10 of them. And then it was money and adopting four of these special kids. And they have like that awkward moment of like, (laughs) what do you mean? And it's, he's like, well, she's like, yeah, mutants. Mutants, Scott, I'm talking about mutants. And so Scott has a flashback to when he was up for adoption and then rejected. And it looked like there was a little bit of like a mishap because it was when his powers were new. Yeah, something happened where his powers went off and, you know, he wasn't constantly shooting optic blasts. It was kind of an on and off thing at that point because he got back to the the orphanage and he's okay. Like he's he's not shooting stuff out of his eyes, but something obviously happened. And he, he basically gave like, I didn't mean to do it. This, this kind of portrayed it to me like when your voice starts cracking <laughs> when you're that age. It's like it's not all the time. Right. right. At the worst times. <laughs> it decides to happen. So that flat, there's just a, a note if you haven't noticed already, a lot of these flashbacks get interrupted constantly. So this flashback gets interrupted by some smoke coming down the hallway, a fire alarm going off. And so Sarah runs upstairs and evacuates all the kids while Scott puts the fire out. And this actually exhibits something that I learned from John and Wally a few episodes ago about how Scott doesn't shoot lasers. He shoots a force. And so he's able to put the fire out with his optic blast, which, yeah, that just that changed my like conception of his powers completely. Because you, you always thought it was like laser just, beam, yeah. like like laser is hot, laser lights yeah. shit on fire. Like Superman lasers, you know, or something. And so he starts putting the fire out. He finds a kid 
running around up there hiding and assumes that he was like playing with matches or something and starts kind of accusing him because Cyclops is yelling his super, other superpowers yelling at people. He's really good at it though. <laughs> yeah. Jumping to conclusions is a hell of a superpower. Yeah. So to mitigate this, Sarah goes up and kind of clears up the situation. She says that Rusty is one of the special kids and that he has fire powers and Rusty shows like his hands, you know, light up and stuff. And then Rusty says he doesn't want to go back to Kilgrave. So I'm going to, you know, we're assuming that he was one of the kids that was adopted by Kilgrave. And so Cyclops, you know, figures, well, I relate to this kid. And I've literally gone through this scenario right. of, of having powers <laughs> pop up at an inconvenient time. Yeah. yeah. And so he decides to go on a walk with him. I don't know where, apparently a shady neighborhood. I think the orphanage is unfortunately just in a rundown neighborhood because yeah. they're not that far from the orphanage. And Scott is talking to Rusty and Rusty's like, what are you, some kind of like special caseworker yeah. kind of thing? And he looks around and then he just decides to shoot a building. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> I hope that doesn't have people squatting in it, Scott. Yeah. Or anybody would notice you just blew up a building in the middle of the night. And so Rusty's like, oh, cool, you're a mutant too. And I know if you're someone, our kid now, you're like, well, you probably noticed that the grown man wearing like crimson sunglasses in the middle of the night. But this was the 90s and that was not uncommon. <laughs> there were times that was just a fashion choice. There's literally a song from that time period or maybe the 80s. That was wear, the 80s. I wear my sunglasses at night. Yeah, that was the 80s. And that, that carried over to the 90s, like the early 90s too. So it wasn't too far off. It threw no pun intended today's lens that seems weird i hate you <laughs> i didn't mean to do that but <laughs> it's worse because you said no pun intended when you say no pun intended that's what draws my attention to it okay i just want to point that out but when looking in the context is better of the no you already said it just 90s. just own it <laughs> of the early 90s through the lens of the early 90s is not that out of because I, I forgot at that point we all know that he's cyclops but these kids and stuff you know you know, don't necessarily know. Right, because when Cyclops was yelling at Rusty, he wasn't using his powers at that point. So Rusty wouldn't have seen the, the blast coming out. So Rusty tells Scott that Kilgrave is crazy. He's been talking about a torture chamber and what he's going to do with the kids and use them to do stuff. He wants to run the governor out of office and that he has, you know, he he's he's going to try to take over the, the city, essentially. Yeah. They get back to the orphanage and, and as that's happening, Rusty is is letting both Scott and Sarah know that. And she basically tells him to to get back inside. And at that point, the police show up and there's a limo as well. And that's when we see Kilgrave arrive in person. Mm -hmm. And Kilgrave kind of is doing that weird like villain thing where he's being nice, but like passive aggressive. And so he's like, hey, he loves the children. He's smiling like a weird supervillain. And he kind of passive aggressively threatens Sarah and the orphanage by saying he's going to, you know, it'd be a shame if funding got cut and, and all this stuff. I very much got an Elon Musk vibe out of him as that whole scene was going on. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but like yes. even the way the dude's like jaw is shaped and stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. I very much got a Musk vibe. And it's like kind of what Musk is at this time, who knows where it's going to be when this episode airs in yeah. July or August or wherever the hell we are on the timeline. But it's just kind of like the, well, I want to buy Twitter, but you guys kind of <laughs> screwed me. And it's like, dude, if you thought there were only 5% bots on Twitter, that's on you. That's not on yeah. them. I think, yeah, like a 15-year-old knows that. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> if, but speaking of, if anybody wants to do fan art of Elon Musk as the purple man, that'd be funny to put on Twitter. So there's this weird, creepy uncle moment where like, Kilgrave goes to hug Rusty. Yeah, he says that with loving discipline, he's going to make something out of Rusty and he gives him a hug. And it's like, 
you know, it's only been a few days, but I love you like a son. And it's really creepy. Yeah, super creepy. And, um, and so Rusty like reluctantly goes with him. I guess he just figures he doesn't have a choice. He kind of doesn't have a choice. I mean, there are literally cops there. And then it, it, it cuts to being at Kilgrave's place. This is where you could tell it was a different animation studio because of the quality control on it. The fact that you had this mansion and there are big signs that say private property and keep out. It very much felt like Scooby-Doo villain oh, yeah. as opposed to take it seriously X-Men villains. And the fact that this did air during the fifth season mm-hmm. kind of fits that narrative. Yeah, because usually signs like that are like Cassidy Keep or like when it said McNeil Orphanage is like very specific things. So I was actually look. I rewound to watch it again. I was like, oh, that was nothing important. <laughs> no, it, it was it was it was it was kind of tacky, if we're yeah. being honest. And when we cut to the inside, the first thing we see is Rusty getting strapped down, not even like with straps, like metal you know, bearing things or whatever. It's a little more of a seat than yeah. a table, but yeah, I mean, it's still not comfortable. I would agree with you on that. So he's strapped down and then, and Kilgrave looks at him and his eyes start to glow. And this is the first time we see that he's not a normal human. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, <laughs> Aside from just being a sociopath, yeah. we realize that he has powers and he says something along the lines of like, now back to your work. Yeah. And they pan across the kids and we know who they are by the end of the episode. So I know that now, but in my notes, I didn't know at the time. Right. There was one character that I thought might have been Sunfire because it's like shockingly close in like the character design at uh, the end. Taki? Yeah. Okay. Just because of his outfit and stuff. I, I don't know. It, it looked like it and, it. and I was debating it because I know this was supposed to be kids. And I was like, I didn't think Sunfire was a kid. No. Sh- Shiro is definitely like closer to the age of like Scott and, yeah. and the other adults. But the, the three kids that we see in particular are Skids. Boom Boom and Taki. Taki is not referred by his his name that he had in the comics. All all four of them, by the way, Rusty included, mm-hmm. in the comics are part of the X Factor trainee group, okay. which was known as the X Terminators. There was one girl that wasn't named, correct? Nope, that was Skids and Boom Boom. They were both named. Oh, okay. I just yep. missed them in the later animation thing then. Yeah, and in the comics, Rusty actually goes by Fire Fist. Taki goes by Wiz Kid. Oh, that's, and that's different than Wizard. I'm getting all these Marvel characters. Yeah, you're getting confused and shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. But, the, but the one that stood out to me the most of this group was Boom Boom because Boom Boom would continue being a more prominent character than these other three would. Most of them like did a majority of their stuff in that X-Terminators placement, okay. whereas Boom Boom would later join Cable and X-Force. Okay. Yeah. As kids or like later on? She, I mean, she was, I mean, we shouldn't say kids because they really are teenagers. teenagers yeah. yeah, but she's like a younger member of X-Force. Okay. And that's kind of like the the weird comic book time frame yeah. where it's like somebody is a teenager for like yes. 15 years yeah. of real time. <laughs> So yeah. was Skids the the girl with like the '90s sunglasses? No, that was Boom Boom. That was Boom Boom. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Boom Boom, Boom is probably now that I know her name is probably one of the most '90s characters that isn't Jubilee. Very much show. so. <laughs> I would agree with you. Completely There's another enough. one that comes up in another episode that we'll bring up. But as of right now, she's the most '90s. So you see, all the kids are being hypnotized, or is that what Kilgrave's power technically is? Brainwashing. Brainwashing, because like. He basically controls them. I, I I only know this from Jessica Jones from my previous experience. But yeah, it's whatever he wants you to do, he can yeah. make you do. So he kind of, he's kind of puppeteers, I guess, might be like a better like illustration. Yeah, I do notice like compared to what we see in Jessica Jones and then even just comic book versions of Kilgrave, this is actually like a little bit of a subdued power on yeah. him because he has to actually like brainwash these kids instead of just take control. Because in, you know, there was a recent arc with with Jessica Jones where he literally just 
turns a block of people on Jessica and Ooh. Captain Marvel. Yeah. So he he does it with like no effort. Yeah. But these aren't the strongest willed individuals. They are teenagers. So yeah. somebody as sophisticated as him from a power perspective, he's not as all powerful as the current Marvel iteration yeah. is. Yeah. And, and at this point, he also starts turning blue. And somewhere around this point is when I'm realizing, oh, Kilgrave, that's right, purple man. And, and what um, color did you say you turned? Oh, blue, purple, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. 90s TV VHS transfer or whatever. Yeah, the blue man turned purple. Anyway, <laughs> so this is right around the time I realized he was purple man. And I would have remembered this if I had watched it. This is what I was pretty certain I hadn't seen this before because like you said, his powers could easily have gone so much darker. Like if you know the Jessica Jones show, you know how dark they go with that. Of course. And especially the guy that that's, you know, so sociopathic. Like. I'm, I mean, <laughs> even even the example I gave from that recent comic arc, he literally had people throwing themselves at Jessica Jones and Ms. Marvel yeah. in the most violent ways possible because it's like, well, you could either stop me or these people are going to kill themselves trying to fight you. Yeah. So anyway, so we, luckily we have a toned down, yeah, toned down version. He's just he's just trying to kind of like use kids as soldiers that's right. not too much better but that was a thing in the 90s too power rangers is all about kids being weaponized <laughs> that's a different show yeah <laughs> that is a different podcast we will talk about at another time so he has the kids recite kind of this mantra which i did write down the future is now we will be respected we will overcome their hatred through strength we will lead but he only said that the second part like once he had them say the future is now we will be respected like yeah six times first yeah <laughs> Yeah. And the and then he starts giving his villain monologue about how he wants to make these kids or just mutants in general put them in positions of power like bankers, future leaders and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so he sends them to the Capitol building to attack. To be clear, it, it is the governor of the state capital yes. building, not not yeah. national capital, just for point of clarity. And so we see the various powers of the kids. Taki he literally says like Use your wheelchair power? Is that we actual power? Wheelchair transformation power. Transformation power. It is that directly related to him? Or is it like a technology? I don't know. I guess there's like a lot of... I have a lot of questions about it. Maybe I'm not supposed to ask because it's 90s comic book stuff. Wow. Aliases. Taki. Asian stereotype boy. Oh, good. So This is on Marvel Fandom's database. So that, this character ages well, is what we're saying. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm a mutant like Artie and Leech. I can make my chair take me anywhere, make it do anything, and I'd never have to feel alone again. Okay. Taki first manifested his mutant ability to technoform materials to function to his specifications, even to the point of being contrary to the laws of nature and science. That's a great excuse for writers <laughs> to, to write whatever they want. Although I, that makes more sense. So he generally just kind of can control like technology and i'm guessing that since his his like wheelchair situation is you know kind of futuristic that it's his closest resource he is the epitome of a 1988 comic book power yeah and i guess that kind of shows a little bit of kilgrave's character too where he reduces it down to wheelchair <laughs> transformation power instead of just overall like he could he could he could have made him like access that building security like that probably been a more useful use of his powers or something right but you don't get the great visual of the transforming yeah. wheelchair so that's a good point too though transformers are huge then so oh yeah so th that, that was, was probably it? part of it uh, or, transformers or, were on their way out at that point well for for a show that like adults were making they're probably like oh transformers are huge they're like literally five years behind then skids and boom boom i just saw like just general firepower is that so so skids was kind of like a johnny cage slide okay you know it's like her feet were like glowing color yeah. as she was sliding through the ground so yeah. literally skidding okay yep 
And then Boom Boom kind of could throw like fireballs, but they didn't, they weren't actually on fire. They were almost like gambit charges, but they bounced almost like rubber balls before they would blow up. And that's pretty accurate to what I know about with with Boom Boom from a character perspective. Plasma blast or something like that. Yeah, it was like plasma basketballs with a timer on them kind of thing. Yeah. And then Rusty is kind of like the security to make sure nobody gets in. And he, he kind of, it's, it's, it's almost like a carry moment where like he just summons fire out of nowhere all over the steps. Which is more <laughs> accurate to the way Rusty's portrayed than what we talked about with, with the Rogue Origin episode. Oh, Pyro. Where Pyro, Pyro cannot summon his own fire. Pyro needs something to activate to yeah. become his firepower, whereas Rusty could generate it. Yeah. Yep. So all that happens in just a matter of seconds. And Kilgrave. Yeah, we, we took way longer <laughs> to explain it than it actually happened on screen. And then Kilgrave goes into the governor's office and he essentially hypnotizes him and tells him he's going to give in to the Platte River project. There, As far as I could tell, there is no significance to what that is. I was yeah. literally looking it up because it seemed like a very specific name, but. Yeah, mm-hmm. they probably just picked it out of something. Or right. Maybe it was like a like a real deep cut comic reference or something. It like may have been, but none of the the various sites that I referenced to to gather in through for this yeah. mention it. So we then hop back to the orphanage. Scott, not for nothing, everybody's really chill for the building having been on fire like, right. like a couple hours prior. I guess they have a history of having mutant kids there. Yeah, they're just used to the building being <laughs> on fire, I guess. In some sort of disarray. They're like, oh, Kilgrave will pay for that. He's been chill about this. And so Scott apparently took a nap or something. Yeah, they, they make a joke about, like, how'd you sleep? And he was, like, really uncomfortably. Yeah. And Sarah's like, fuck you. No, just kidding. Sarah didn't mention that she was listening to Scott. Because <laughs> he, he, he's like, is Gene, was Gene your, your partner? Because it's the name you yelled out in your sleep. And he doesn't question it at all. He's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> well, she goes, who was Gene? Yeah. Because you kept saying her name. So I'm going to chalk that up to he probably slept on the couch in the lobby or something. Yeah, just the front. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's fine. So that conversation gets interrupted by the TV, which is another news, the 90s thing that happens is news interrupting stuff. Oh, yeah, because there are kids who are watching TV and they get annoyed <laughs> because this. That's right. Yeah, the kids are like, oh, this sucks without saying sucks and they yeah. walk away from the TV because of the the bulletin or the, the the emergency thing yeah the it was basically you know the governor has has resigned due to health reasons I remember there being things like that in the news but I don't ever remember something like a governor resigning being so urgent that they would interrupt TV programming 90s cartoon okay <laughs> No, you're totally yeah. right. Like, yes, in in the days of of broadcast live TV feeds and stuff, if there was something major, like I remember all TV being interrupted because of the O.J. Simpson chase, yeah. for example, but not, well, the governor's six or he's <laughs> resigning. That would be in a commercial of like, oh, tonight on the 11 o'clock news, yeah. but it would not interrupt your show. Yeah. So conveniently, they mentioned that the governor is stepping down or resigning. And they also conveniently say that this is going to, you know, bode well for Kilgrave, who wants to do the, the power plant thing on the Platte River project. Yeah, the the I believe they they kind of talk over it a little bit, but you hear him say it's a multi billion dollar hydroelectric plant. Yeah. So I guess his whole like end game is he's just going to build a power plant that will make him richer, kind I of guess, scenario. Yeah, or maybe I guess hide whatever he's doing or something. So Scott says, that sounds a little fishy. Maybe Rusty was telling the truth. So Sarah agrees, and the two of them drive over to Kilgrave's. Inside Kilgrave's place, he's putting on Caucasian makeup. So did you see the Easter egg that was happening at that point? 
before so. so Kilgrave walks into this room that's obviously like an office and he has his his full purple face going there's a dartboard on the wall on the dartboard it is a character mostly clad in yellow and has two DDs on his chest. Was that a Daredevil reference? It's a Daredevil reference because one of the earliest appearances from Purple Man was in Daredevil. And if you look back at the original version of Daredevil, his costume was more yellow. Within the first dozen issues, he switched to the the now synonymous red costume. I've forgot until just this moment you mentioned that there was a yellow Daredevil. Yeah, it was a yellow and red mix, but this is... It's a reference, and there's also darts going into the image. Yeah, so like a bullseye. Well, not even a bullseye. It's just this is one of his foes, essentially. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right. So, yeah, he's, he's putting on the makeup, and then Scott comes in. Sarah waits in the car. She wants to go in, and Scott doesn't let her. Yeah. Which, and then Scott kind of just, like, goes up to the door and is demanding to yeah. see him. And then I didn't know if this was, like, a joke or a reference, but the dude who works for Kilgrave, his name was Wayne. And I didn't know if that was a dig on Bruce Wayne, that the guy called Wayne, who was answering the doors. Yeah, was the butler. Yeah. Interesting. That would have been funny. I mean, it's probably just a generic name, but that that seemed like a possibility. Yeah. And so Kilgrave shows up to the door, too, and says, oh, come on in. Check out everything. It's fine. And all the kids are kind of, at first glance, behaving pretty well, like you would at like a prep school or something. And then as you spend more time, you realize they're all kind of like, almost like Stepford wives. You have have Taki playing on the piano. Mm -hmm. You have Skid and Boom Boom who are playing chess Mm -hmm. and then Rusty walks in with cookies and offers them to Scott and Scott (laughs) not casually puts his hand on Rusty and he's like is everything okay? (laughs) I'm giving you a very loud whisper. And then Rusty's like yes I was wrong. Everything's great. (laughs) And then this is where I question the intelligence of Kilgrave. He gives a signal and Taki like yeah. runs down Scott. He didn't have a reason to attack him. Yeah. Like you could have lured him somewhere if you wanted to trap him or just send him home. I don't know. Yeah, it's like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and so Scott gets knocked out, which is kind of like the biggest bitch way that Scott has gotten knocked out in the yeah. show so far is he just kind of got like hit from behind. Yeah. And they're like, yep, dump him in the back, which again, questioning the intelligence of Kilgrave yeah. as a villain in this scenario, you put the body in your own pool <laughs> for him to drown, why put a body in your own pool that would certainly lead to an investigation of some kind? And also just trust that he was done. Wayne's an idiot, okay? (laughs) I put that on Wayne. Because Wayne should have held him under or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott's, you know, face down in a pool, like mob movie style, only no one checked to see who's actually dead. And- That's why you double tap. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And he has these visions I'm not even clear if they were real visions or just him like kind of hallucinating, like connecting to Gene, but of Gene as the Phoenix. I think it was life flashing before your eyes yeah. type shit. And and he, he wakes up to that vision of Gene being Sarah giving him CPR. Which now second person who has given CPR to Scott in the yeah. show. And two of them have saved his life and neither was Gene. <laughs> Directly. <laughs> So Scott regains consciousness, and because he doesn't have his glasses on, as his eyes open, he just shoots a giant yeah. hole in the house. <laughs> and he's surprised that Sarah wasn't shocked by it. And he's like, oh, you knew? I wasn't aware that 
she didn't know. I just had figured you'd known each other as kids in the time that all this stuff was manifesting. That, but I, I guess he was surprised by it. And she was like, yeah, no, I... And she thought she said what I thought. She's like, yeah, I fucking lived with you literally in the time all this shit was going down. I, of course, I noticed laser or optic blast eyes coming from somebody, you know. But before we had that conversation, because his immediate reaction is, did they take the kids with them? Mm-hmm. Sarah didn't see the kids go with them. So he decides to search the house, they realize in the basement that the kids are there. And then there's a really weird quote that I don't think ages well, <laughs> where it was acceptance must be earned, not forced on people. Okay. Yeah. Well, when he finds the kids. When he finds yeah. the kids and he's like trying to help them break out of their brainwashing. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of the quote of acceptance must be earned. I do agree with things should not be forced on people. Yeah. But if you have to be, you have to earn to not be treated in a bigoted manner. Yeah. I call bullshit on that one. Yeah. And also, like, I guess that kind of implies that Kilgrave had a justifiable way of indoctrinating the kids. Yeah. That wasn't brainwashed. That's kind of weird, too. Yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't thought through. Yeah. The, the, the quote, I know it was meant to be with good intentions of, yeah. like, we have to show people they don't need to be afraid of us. Yeah. But the hatred comes from a bigoted reason yeah so i don't i don't agree with you have to change who you are to make somebody else comfortable if you didn't do anything wrong in the first place yeah yeah no oh i get what you're saying yeah it's it's pretty much that of like you know the whole argument of like uh like people of color in the workplace and stuff not necessarily my specific situation but you know a lot of minorities have to be extra extraordinary except or exceptional for the same positions you know right just to be at like a base level let right. alone accepted. It's stuff. it's inherently bullshit. Yeah. So yeah, that the whole putting an effort just to be accepted. Yeah, that's kind of that I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's that that innate that's that age like milk. <laughs> that way. Yeah. And and again, I, I don't think there was any negative intention with it. I think it is just one of those phrases that tolerance and acceptance I think got confused at some point. Yeah. Well, yeah, we were, I say we even me included like just at the time like learning how to like discuss all of that because the 90s I, I bring it up now to kids and i have to check myself this is like my generations like i have to kind of alter the way i think or talk about subjects i mentioned like uh, Vogue had that song for your mind you know mm-hmm. very well intentioned i still think musically a great song but it's hairy when they talk about being colorblind and as a kid that was like a fight the power kind of thing and now it's like mm, not necessarily aging so well you know like colorblind isn't exactly the goal at the time it was part of the you know, the learning curve, I guess. Right. Uh, not, not an excuse necessarily, but just saying it was well-intentioned and it yeah. didn't age too well. So they get back to the the mansion. That's where Sarah and Scott have the, wait, you didn't freak out yeah. when I, and she's like, yeah, I always knew. To your point, <laughs> I remember the other kid at my orphanage who kept like, shit kept, even if she didn't see the yeah. blast go off, shit kept melting. Yeah. She figured something <laughs> out. And they they look like they're about to kiss. I don't know if I interpreted that. Correctly. They had a moment. Yeah. I, w- I I don't know if they were going to pull the trigger and actually kiss, but they yeah. were definitely having a moment. Yeah, it was, there was a, something special going on there. And then <laughs> cartoon villain, Kilgrave arrives in a helicopter with a bullhorn. <laughs> and it's, it's not just a helicopter. It's like an attack helicopter. Yeah. Like this is some like, Cobra Commander shit. And he's yelling at them from the helicopter being super subtle. <laughs> and a reporter who has ears catches on that this is happening from a car, like somewhere nearby. Yeah, they, sh- they show up with a full remote broadcast cameraman and everything. Yeah. Ready to, they're ready to go. <laughs> and she says, 
get get your camera ready. Let's go. And sh- the, her and the cameraman catch everything that's happening. Kilgrave makes Rusty set the orphanage on fire. So now we have that going on. So they're literally between an attack helicopter and a fiery place. And then Scott tries to shoot down the helicopter. Well, at, at first, Kilgrave is is pushing to control Scott. And, and Scott is trying to get a, a shot off. And it's yeah. kind of the battle of wills scenario. This ends up leading to Scott overcoming it. And shoots a hole clean through the center <laughs> of it and you see Kilgrave and the the amazing Wayne yeah. just kind of like plop out on the two different sides of it. But of course, this is like a shitty neighborhood so there are no actual cops nearby. Right. <laughs> so Sarah runs back into the burning building because they reali- realize that Taki's still in there. Well, she starts to. She, yeah, she starts to run back in the building because Taki's in there and Scott has a flashback of not being able to save Gene and he freaks the fuck out and so he runs in there to actually do it. Yeah. And he's, he's able to blast his way through the fire. Once again, exhibiting that force thing. Well, it looks like Scott runs in and then it, he is going to get trapped inside there. Yeah. And there's like that, oh shit moment for Sarah. And then Scott is able to use the force blast to get himself out yeah. of there. So he rescues him and himself and Taki. And then this whole ordeal, including Kilgrave's confession, airs on the news. In that happy, you know, ending full house moment, Sarah asks Scott to stay and be part of the orphanage and everything. But Scott says he's so inspired by you know, the events of what happened at the orphanage that he realizes he has a responsibility to, to the X-Men. Which I feel like Scott's reaction should be, I can't stay. I literally live in a mansion. Let me see if I could help, <laughs> help you subsidize the money you just lost because we found out your main funding was coming from a supervillain. Yeah, I guess, yeah, they didn't wrap that part up, did they? No, like, I mean, <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. A lot of these episodes, and, and I noticed it more in season two and three than in season one, they have very quick wrap-ups. Yeah. So it was one of those like, well, there's definitely shit that happened off camera. We're going to yeah. assume Scott did the right thing. Out. So Scott arrives back at the X mansion just in time in the war room when there's like a like team meeting. So yeah. everybody's everybody's there. And Cerebro has like an alert that comes on and it did an auto scan and discover the gene is still alive. Yeah. And Scott, like you said, walks in at the perfect time. Yeah. He sees it. And he, I think the last line of the episode is I miss you. Yeah. And that's how we close out the episode. Getting full circle on the whole idea of like, this was the episode where they were supposed to grieve. And then you get the, oh, it's Jubilee was right. It's not as bad as as we thought it was. Yeah. So in the original timeline of like when we watch these episodes, we just figured they all got over it off camera. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of not addressed. Yeah. yeah there, there's no there's no epilogue to it, unfortunately, in, in the real time of how they the yeah. broadcast order. And even though this episode is kind of janky in like the technical sense, like there was a few animation like glitches and stuff, especially with it was Kilgrave. Ju- it was just a lower quality animation yeah. from it being this outsourced team, unfortunately. Yeah, and and but overall, like at least like that that opening sequence of them mourning Jean that made a lot of sense. I, like that was my first reaction. I was like, ah, okay, here it is. They do miss her. You yeah, know. and I and I don't want to give full context as to what was happening at the time because one, I. There's so many episodes I don't remember in detail. Yeah. But it's like, why would there be mourning at that point in time? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense, regardless of what you know is coming, or even if what you don't know is coming. Yeah. Just the choice of doing it, Eric Leewald in, in previously on X-Men that we mentioned earlier, is like, well, I guess that episode 
when it aired could have been interpreted as a flashback, mm-hmm. but it was obviously very less than ideal because there was like 32 episodes or something like yeah. that from when it was supposed to happen to when it actually did air. Yeah, it was like a year and a half later or something. A- about two full years. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, so that's that's everything. Yeah, it was a pretty open and closed episode besides the orphanage you know we don't know what happened to that but it doesn't matter yeah <laughs> i wonder i wonder if the episode scored as low as it did one because people were watching it out of intended order so it kind yeah. of doesn't make as much sense from a narrative perspective it did have the lower quality animation and one other thing that eric did mention was he purple man was played too over the top and i would agree with that because you look at at Kilgrave in Jessica Jones and he is over the top, but it's a menacing over the top yeah. versus like a mustache twirling bad guy over yeah. the top. He's, he's like, he's scary in the, you don't see him for the first like three or four episodes or something. Yeah, you just get sucks. references to him. Yeah, this this one, he's just like, you're waiting for him to tie like one of the orphans to like a railroad tracks or something. Exactly. <laughs> Snidely whiplash all the way. So I don't know. I- I'm glad I watched it. It was it was cool. I'm glad you watched it too, because if you didn't, this would be a really <laughs> awkward episode for us to record, Rod. Uh, side note: We have a little mascot today. John got me the Wolverine that has the little picture frame of Gene and Scott. It's not torn in half or I have a hole in it yet. Yeah, yet. <laughs> but um, it is the right picture. Yeah, and I love that it comes with. I wish you you, you can look this up yourself, but it no, comes with. Take, you literally have a yeah. phone. Yeah. With a uh, camera on it, right? Okay. Sure, I'll take a picture, and if I remember to in two months to post this. No, we'll do what we normally do, which is the episode goes live, <laughs> yeah. we forget everything, everything we talked about, and then when we listen to the episodes when they go live on that Monday, yeah. that's when I get the reminder of, oh, oh John, yeah. you're supposed to look up the image of awesome Android because yeah. Rod has no idea what that is <laughs> and post it to Instagram by Friday. There you go. The, the guy, he's, he's A, very posable, it's really cool. So he has a badass look, but he also, he. They they put all the the joints in so he could sit on lay on a couch or a bed I guess, and he has hands to hold the picture frame which is the best part. I, they his secondary function is sad Wolverine. I love that. Well, I do love the so. the default face because they gave two heads with it. You have yeah. angry one as your your second one, but the main one is kind of like that straight faced Wolverine from the other meme of like him standing there in the oh, foreground the as yeah. the awkward makeout session is happening yeah. behind him. That's the face that there's not like sad Wolverine, yeah. but there's the, oh, this is awkward Wolverine. Yeah, that's hilarious. So thank you so much, Joe. Of course. That's amazing. All right. Thanks for joining us. If you have any thoughts, make sure to drop them in the comments for either the YouTube upload or the official Instagram post for this episode. If you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. You can find us on an Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and CastBox, and not Facebook Mobile. The future is now. We will be respected. <laughs>